Israelites as one people that he was going to work through and show the world who he is. He had a plan. He started something. He, he initiated a relationship. That's God's plan. He made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt and led them out of it with a mighty hand. That, that's protection and provision within God's plan, even when things look bleak. Because if we just read this verse and we don't know the history, we think, okay, well, they were, just, they were on vacation in Egypt. That sounds nice. No, they, they were slaves. They, 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 had, they had moved there. They had migrated there. They had been captured. They, were, they had been put under a yoke of slavery where they were forced to do all the manual labor practically within Egypt. They were producing every product. Um, they were building buildings. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was, it was a horrible existence. God sustained them. And, and he, he gave them a heart that would continue to call out to him. And then he brought them out of slavery because, again, what's his plan? To initiate relationships. He said, I want to initiate a relationship by bringing you into freedom. That's what salvation looks like for us. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. That's God's patience. Isn't that awesome? I love how scripture says, and he put up with them. You know what it means to like put up with somebody, right? I mean, you come here on a weekly basis. I know you listen to me. I like I know what you what it means to like you, you can put up with somebody. There's people we just put up with. Like we just go, you know what, got like I I have 45 minutes, and if I'm breathing on the other side of this, I feel like I get a win, right? I I just know how to put up with somebody. This is scripture. This is truth of God's word. This means that God was satisfied with his decision to endure frustration of a people that he gave all to, that gave him nothing, and he just continued to work with them. And that's a good English fleshing out translation. It's, it's God's patience. It says, this all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then, he asked for a, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. For this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Um, it, notice, that's the promise of God's plan. In other words, God doesn't just have a plan. I, I, have, I make plans. I, me and my wife make plans every Saturday morning. We're 100% accurate on those plans never working out. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe you're more of an effective planner. You just get up and you're like, I am resolved. I am not going to be defeated by my own laziness, my children who plot against me, um, my, my, my yard that can grow weeds at an amazing rate, um, and, and, and you're, just, you're, you're never defeated by any of that stuff. My schedule often is, is, kind of takes a little bit of a side journey. God's promise is sure. If, if it's his plan, it's in the books, it's going to happen. He's going to finish it. He's going to complete it. And this is what he's getting at, and this is what he wants the people to see because they probably would nod yes on, yeah, I believe God has a plan. Yep, protection, provision, yeah, he's patient. Clearly he's patient. We're still alive even though we sin. But, but, but the hook is Jesus is God's promise. It says before coming to Public attention, John had previously proclaimed a, a baptism of repentance to all people in Israel. Now as John completing, um, was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but who, one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the sandals of his feet. You, you know, it's funny. Um, 
I always wondered, like, that, that just seems like an odd statement. Like, why, why did he pick, I'm not, un, I'm not even fit to untie the sandals that he wears on his feet. So what was going on culturally um, was, was rabbi teachers were, were moving to this point of such arrogance in their culture that when they had disciples, followers, um, young people in their uh, early to mid-teens through their early mid-twenties, when they would have them for those years, they were so arrogant, and they would literally just belittle the people that were supposed, they were supposed to be equipping and teaching them and raising them to be another generation of people that served the Lord. They, they would belittle them to the point where they would even have them, um, they, they would stop even putting on and take, uh, taking off and putting on their own shoes. They would make their disciples kind of in a, in a moment of humility, a little bit of maybe we would call it hazing, just bend down just to kind of humble themselves and kind of remind them that they're beneath them and actually take their shoes off for them when they wanted to sit back and relax. And, and the Israelites, this became a, a really serious thing to where they then began to say, hey, these certain things can't be done in these kind of circles. Like we can't raise our next generation of, of teachers this way. This is, this is horrible. And there was kind of like a little bit of resentment towards kind of a, an, an, egotist, an egotistical regime that had been in place. Well, John stepped into it and said, hey, listen, he has every right to ask me to undo his sandals. He's creator of this universe. I'm not even worthy to do that. I, I, I realize where I am in comparison to Jesus. And this is how... Um, this is how Paul really begins to, to explain. Uh, verse 26, brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets, they are read every Sabbath. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for his death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that they had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him on, in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. God established the proof that he had fulfilled his promise. Did you catch it? He, he said, amazingly enough, even in their defiance of God, they were the living proof themselves, as God put into his word and prophecy, that people would reject his Messiah. Surely, no. The person that you're waiting on for hundreds and hundreds of years, you would never reject them when they were clearly there, when they showed proof of who they were. But God's word said, yes, they will. And even in their defiance of God, their, defiant, their, their unwillingness to accept Jesus, they were the, their own living proof that he, in fact, was the Messiah. Whether it's in the positive or negative God is so perfect in what he does, he, he can show proof even when people want to deny him. Because he'll go back hundreds of years in advance and, and tell how it's going to happen. See, God wants to lay out so much evidence. I think in some ways we, we, we work so hard to figure out, how can I, how can I tell someone about Jesus? It's got to be perfectly worded, and i got to know the right kind of story to say, hey, here's how God's worked in my life. And we get so consumed and stressed out over a perfect way to present Jesus that I think sometimes we forget all that God does in people's lifetimes to show evidence that he's really God's son, to where if we'll just tell our story, just how we know God's worked in our lives, 
God's already done so much in advance in that person's heart that we're clueless about that it's gonna, it would amaze us what just jumps into an agreement and God works through it. So as Paul continues to present Jesus, he, he then go, goes into another section where he starts talking about um, Jesus versus King David. Now, King David represents the best of the good old days to these people. Like it talked about, hey, hey, their first king was Saul. They wanted a king, and, and Saul was not the king that they needed. But then God called David, and David restored so many things to their people, religiously, culturally, economically. There was, there was so much um, prosperity during these times. King David really represented the best of the good old days. But this is what, this is what Paul, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, is led to communicate to them. He said, listen, hey, even as great as it was with David, there was decay there. David's life came to an end. He said, but with Jesus and his resurrection, there's no decay. Now, when the Bible talks about decay, um, it, it also uses the same kind of language when it comes to um, the idea of vapor. Now, um, this is not eco-s all-purpose cleaner. This is just water. Um, I, I, I cleaned this out and filled this with water to be able to use it. I have a spray ball at home, um, but it stays locked down in our house because it is our defense mechanism um, for our boys' cowlicks in the morning. Um, I don't know how you tame kids' hair, um, but we, we have, like, it's a whole high-pressure water system that we just have to blast their heads with. Um, so, so I'm not allowed to take that from the house, but, but this I can use this morning. So with this idea of decay and vapor, um, it, it's, it's this thing of um, it's, it's there, but just very quickly, you, you know what I'm talking about? It's there, but it doesn't take but a second, and that will completely, even with the lights really showing these drops of, of moisture, it, it's gone. And what he's trying to communicate to these people as he's presenting the gospel of Jesus, he says, hey, listen, there, there is this thing of, of stuff that is just temporary, but then there's another thing, another reality, and it's called eternal, and that's Jesus. That's, that's the difference between where we need to anchor our lives and our hope in. He's like, hey, listen, and, and he goes straight for the best of the good old days. He said, you know what, you, you know how long that lasted? And then it was gone. Other kingdoms came in and took them into slavery and captured them and took them to other countries. He's like, that lasted. He said, but Jesus, it, it would literally be spraying this bottle. If it was a real great illustration of really who Jesus is, it would be spraying that bottle and it just hanging there for eternity. So consider this. What is he presenting to them? He said, hey, listen, you want to pursue wealth? You want to pursue fame, notoriety? You want to pursue a career, the perfect job that gets you everything you need? But if you pursue Jesus, now it's lasting. Even when we parent, we tell our kids, hey, this is, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to act. Um, my, my oldest son now, I'm, I'm talking to him about when he works a job and he's working for somebody, this is how you got to work. And, and if all I teach him is work ethic, but if I instill Jesus into him, if that's my message, then that stays in his life. And this is, what Paul, this is what Paul is hanging his whole gospel presentation on. And, and his gospel presentation of these people, I want to I present this to you. It is just a symbol of how he lives his life in every way. Because as Paul interacts with other people, 
He's going, okay, if, if this is really about Jesus, if I'm anchoring my, my soul and my job and my career and, and my time and my energies, if I'm anchoring it into Jesus, then it's all about the eternal. So then Paul, in this amazing way, is able to set aside an incredible volume of junk. I don't know what the Greek word for junk is, but, it, but it's something. And, and, and we just would call it that. Sorry, I'm going to need that piece of paper later. Um, that, that's, what, that's what Paul really is anchoring his whole ministry into. When, when he goes somewhere and it's not welcoming, he's anchored so much into Jesus and the eternal that he's able to set aside way more volume of junk than on a daily basis I realize that I'm able to set aside many times. Which tells me it's not the fault of someone you or I may deal with it's not the fault of the, the, of, the, of the thing that we may have to struggle with. It's really the, the point of education and, and maturing to say, anchor into the eternal Jesus in an accurate way so that we're able to set aside the amount of things that we're going to need to to really be good in the kingdom of God, to really know him well and be able to serve him well. And to prove that point, I, wanna, I want us to kind of look at really just what follows this? Now, the place that they were at was, um, it was an Antioch by label, but this was not the same Antioch that they were at in previous chapters that we were at. And, and at this point, just for reference, we're probably about 12 or 13 years into the first generation of the church um, by, by this point in the chapters. Um, that's not a, that, that doesn't track all the way through numerically by chapter. It's not a year a chapter. Um, but, but that's about the time frame where we're at. Now, um, after he presents this gospel message, here, here's kind of how the, the ending went in that city. Number one, um, the people unanimously were like, hey, come back and share again next week. Some of those people didn't just say, hey, come back next week. They followed them as they left that day and stayed around them the whole week. When they came back the next week, it wasn't a complete celebration. In fact, it was, a, it was really a divided audience. And there's two things that the Bible says happened in a divided audience um, that shows you that there's a spiritual attack. And if you ever see these two things, you ever see these two things show themselves, it's an obvious sign of a spiritual attack against something God is doing. You ready for them? Number one, jealousy. And number two, insults. Every time. And you know where, you know where it scares me the most when I see those? My own self my own conversations. And it tells me, hey, if, if, I'm, if, if, there's, if, if I'm making comments that are really driven by jealousy or I'm insulting, then the spiritual war is not even just around me. I've got to be real careful because it's, it's happening in me. And that's what was happening. Now, Paul's response is characterized with one main word in chapter 13, boldness. He didn't back down. He was bold, he was clear about his message, and the, here's the result. Some people believed, others incited um, anger and stirred up conflict. That conflict was actually specifically aimed at them. They were expelled from the city. I mean, they, were, they, were, they didn't just go, you know what, this is probably not our place. They collectively, a big enough group of people, forced them out. But Paul took a lesson from Jesus. We've talked about this in past weeks. He stopped Barnabas. They both stopped before they completely got out there. And you know what they did? They, they, they shook the dirt off of their sandals 
so that they would follow the process that we've already talked about in the book of Acts. How, how do we know this Holy Spirit is leading us to something new? He says, listen, you've got to shake the dirt of discouragement off your life because, as it says at the end of that chapter, the disciples there that stayed and them were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not calling us to carry discouragement. He's saying, hey, you've got to shake off enough of this so that joy can reign in your life. And I believe that, that Paul was able to do that not because he was just this great speaker, not because he was a great minister of the gospel, but because he had his life anchored in a correct gospel. It was accurate. It was dead on to who Jesus is and what the scope of eternity really is. Now, the next city that they came to was Iconium. I want to read a few of these verses. Verse 1 in chapter 14. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, man, it's, it's going great. Good start. Verse 2, hang on. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. There was, there was division because certain people were setting out to cause it. They were going and they were saying, listen, I want to have a conversation about what's happening and about this person, and I, I want to shape your opinion about them. Now, none of us would ever say that we want to go and poison someone's mind. But notice which side in this passage is, is, the, is, the, is the person that's being used by God on compared to the side that is, is working against God. The side that's shown to be working against God is the conversation that is shaping the opinion of others against someone. And the way that I believe that Paul did not fall victim to that side and he didn't retaliate in the same way. Why? Because of the gospel that he held in his heart and his mind. And there's also a, another big secret of, to his um, his walk that we're going to continue to see through this. I want to bring out to you in just a few minutes. Here's his response. Now remember, this is, this is, this is not just division. This is personal. Here's his response. So they, verse 3, So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Hang on a second. What, what would you expect someone to do if someone's mind has been poisoned against them? I'm out. I'm done. No, they, they stayed. They stayed and continued. And what were they able to trust the Lord to do when they stayed and continued faithfully? It says that then the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. In other words, when, when they showed themselves faithful, when they really stuck in and said, you know, and think about this, what can you really expect God to do when your heart is fully dedicated to him? You, I believe through this, the truth of this passage, you can believe through the Holy Spirit that God will work in your life in a way to validate the gospel message, the accurate gospel message that we share with people, that we instill in people, by enabling us to do the things and to go through experiences and, and to become who he wants us to be, so much to the point that it actually validates the gospel into someone's life through how he's allowed us to share it with them. And honestly, I can see it happening in a million different ways. A million different ways. In so many different environments between us and someone else. Verse 4, but the people of the city who were divided, some siding with the Jews, others with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled 
to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. God continued, God continued his work in them and allowed them to find out about a mistreatment that was being planned for them. Say, so, well, hang on a second. So, so what does that mean when it comes to um, when will God let me out of a difficult situation, especially with people? I believe in this passage, the one thing that we can trust is, is that when God brings information to our minds and freedom to our hearts to move to somewhere else, that's when we can begin to test that and see if that really is, in fact, God working. Because in the same story, you see conflict and you see a commitment that the Holy Spirit led him into to stay longer, to continue to make disciples. But then there was, there was a shift in gears and it was, it was not just difficult, but it was going to literally cost in their lives. And at that moment, God worked in their life because his plan was to continue his work. And then he released them from that difficulty. He allowed them to escape and to be able to move on to another city. So hang on a second, Derek. Okay, well, I'm in the middle of something difficult, and I need to know an answer this morning. Let's talk this morning. Let's talk this week. It, 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 we can't, sometimes we can say, okay, this is a, this is a truth for our life, and, and we just know exactly black and white how this is going to work out. And then we see the Holy Spirit leading us, keeping us somewhere, then leading us somewhere else. That's where we've really got to dig in. And remember, what, what's, I, you know what I believe one of the main, key is, main keys are? Through this whole time, Paul was not alone. Yes, he had God's Spirit inside of him, but he also had Barnabas right beside him. And if we are alone, the more alone we are, the harder it is to test and really know what is the voice of the Lord leading me to. How's he speaking and acting right now? The more separate we are from other believers, even if it's just one significant fellow believer, the more separate we are from that, the harder it is going to be to really decipher what is God leading me to right now. Because remember, this is Acts. This is about learning how to live with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, um, they move on to Lystra. Now, this is, a, this is a total different circumstance. So when they go to Lystra, Paul begins to preach, and he locks eyes with a guy who is crippled. And he locks eyes. And the Bible just tells us that, that in just looking deep into his eyes and seeing the reaction and the attention that he's paying to the message, it says that Paul, could just, Paul just knew that his whole heart believed in the Jesus he was preaching about. And Paul, in locking eyes, just looked straight at this guy and told him, he's like, look, get, get up and walk. And he gets up. He begins to walk. This is someone who's been crippled all their life. This is somebody that was known in the city. And, and, and when people saw this, they absolutely lost their minds. Huge celebration breaks out. Um, Paul was multilingual, but Paul didn't speak exactly what their dialect was. So there wasn't a real clear understanding when they started talking and speaking and celebrating. They understood him a little bit better than he understood them. Okay, So the celebration really jumped off to the point where it says in verse 18, they were barely able to stop the people from making sacrifices to them. So we know already there's a misunderstanding. Because if they're going, hey, man, we want to sacrifice something to you guys, that, based on Paul's gospel, that's off base, right? That, that, that's not accurate. Well, so here's, here's what goes on. Um, in, in Lystra, there was, there was um, as far as Greek mythology goes, there was a story where I believe it was Zeus and Hermes come to, come to that town disguised as, as poor people, beggars. 
They disguised themselves and came to that town asking for help. No one in the town would help them until they got to the end of, of where that town stretch was. They got to the very end of the road, and there was a poor farmer and his wife that was said to have helped them. And in, and in that mythology, um, what they believed as folktale was that, that those two people that helped them, they then revealed themselves, punished everybody that, that turned them down, and just blessed those two people. So this story and mythology that they really bought into and they really believed, they had been waiting forever for, for these two gods to show back up. So when, so when Paul and Barnabas come in and they heal someone, their minds go, it's, it's these Greek gods back in town. We're not going to make the same mistake that they made centuries before us. We're going to worship them. So, so they came at them to worship them not because, um, not because they, they really wanted to know them, it was really, hey, we're not going to miss out on the blessing this time. We're not going to be those people that are cursed. And Paul and Barnabas had to physically stop them from being worshipped. And you say, hang on a second. So, 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 so this doesn't sound that bad. How in this environment was this really such a spiritual test? There are times in life, I've experienced and maybe you have too, when we experience such a good reaction, a good season, a prosperous season, we get, a, we get the attention that we want. We come out of a bad relationship maybe, and then all of a sudden the next one seems so perfect and good that what do we do? We, we, we just kind of go with that wave of good vibes, positive feelings, good times, whatever it is, and say, hey, you know what? It's good. It's just good. Let's just enjoy it. Let's not, let's not confront this or let's, let's, let's not be so stressed out. Let's just enjoy this goodness. And that goodness isn't necessarily keeping us close to the Lord. I mean, you know, it's heartbreaking. You, 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 ever, you ever had someone close to you, and they've come out of a really difficult time, and, and all of a sudden they, they seem like their heart is really wide open to the Lord, and they're, and they're really convicted about some things, and they're really saying the right things. They're like, I really want to draw close to the Lord. And then, and then all of a sudden someone new comes into their life, or a certain community group comes around them, and it's like, oh, man, we're, just, we're going to take care of you. We're going to love on you. And, and, it, and it sounds all good, but it's really not grounded in the right kind of gospel. And all of a sudden you start noticing it, wasn't, it didn't take that long, and that person just started to step away again. Like life seemed good and better but they really didn't seem like they were really drawing close to the Lord. And we go, man, that's heartbreaking. And that happens to us way more than we probably want to really acknowledge and realize. We get in seasons of life where we're in certain environments and everything seems so positive that we actually, we actually slip on, we actually really do slip on true faithfulness to Jesus, really deepening our relationship with him. And, and it wasn't just the angry mobs that Paul had to fight off, he also had to stay so careful that, that, that nothing would take him off of that, that, that true journey really to grow in Christ. Even things that seemed positive that, that, he wanted, that, that, that Satan would tempt him with to make him feel good about just relaxing in his faith. Now, as you continue on, um, it, it didn't stay so positive. Verse uh, 19 some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Uh, you know how certain crowds seem to kind of always follow you? Like certain people, they just seem to be able to show up at the wrong time. Um, if, if Paul didn't have enough on him, um, they showed up, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. 
uh, it, this would have been, th- this was illegal. This wasn't just wrong, this was illegal. The Roman government would have required a trial, a formal conviction, and then they would have sentenced. So for them to mob lynch Paul, they weren't just morally wrong, they were legally wrong. So they drug him out of the city most likely because they were probably scared if, if that body was found, they would get punished. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. We've got to have the correct gospel. We, we, we've got to be clear and really know and be grounded in who Jesus is. But we also have to have the right community around us as believers if we're going to, in moments of decision, be able to make the right decision. If you track this story, if, you, if you've just kind of noticed the details so far, as, when it was just Barnabas with him, when it was just Barnabas, he was able to figure out, okay, do we stay or do we go? And, and clearly, it, they, they followed the Lord. It happened at the right times. When he goes into a city and he, and he can kind of slip and relax a little bit on people just loving on them, that because he's got community around him, say, hey, no, we, we can't do this. We can't relax. We've got to be faithful to call the Lord. And when it got really rough, that's when you see it needed. To, it wasn't just one person. It needed to be a little bit bigger group. When you go through a tougher season in life, when I go through a tougher season in life, as believers, a dangerous thing is to rely on just one person. Now, I don't, I don't mean that, that, that you always share everything you share with someone like a spouse. But, but as a believer, if, if we rely on just one person there's a pretty solid chance we're going to get let down. Because if, if that person, if, if Ethan and I are on staff together, if I rely on Ethan so much that I say, okay, right now something awful is going on, and I call Ethan, I'm like, all right, I got to talk right now at this second. And I call Ethan. He don't answer. Well, Ethan might be doing something that the church is, is really called and employed him to do. He may be being incredibly faithful at that moment, but in that moment, I feel let down because I've, de- I've depended so much on him that I needed him at that moment, and it had to be that moment I needed the conversation. Because what do we do? If you're like me, you, I mean, we wait till it gets pretty awful before we actually open up, right? I mean, collectively, that's, that's probably the average. So if, in, if I just rely on one person, then I hit a wall, and I'm tempted to feel let down, neglected, rejected, that's why we've got to widen that circle. We've got to do the, do the investment into people's lives. This wasn't just, Paul wasn't in, in one day spurts with these people. He was staying months and sometimes years at a time. We have to intentionally invest in enough people to where the circle is big enough that it can be all the way around us when we get stoned, when we have that kind of moment. If we don't do that, we won't be prepared for all that life and all that our enemy can come at us with. God gives us the wisdom ahead of time to do this. So they surround him, and, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if there a miracle happened in his body. I don't know exactly what happened. He, he, was, he was wounded enough to appear dead, but he was able then to get up and to, con- to continue going. It, it may just simply be that God wanted to highlight the importance of community so much that he worked a miracle just so that we would be able to read about this. I mean, that, that might be enough validation just on its own. 
Verse 21, and we get a synopsis of what happened after it. Check this out. After they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, right? Oh, and we're kind of almost expecting this at this moment. He just gonna, they're just keeping going. They're just keeping it up. Notice what they do. They returned where? Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They did the hardest turnaround that we could imagine. I mean, we just read all that they came through, and what did they do? They just did a U-turn and said, you know what? We're going right back by to continue the work that the Lord had us up to, and, and we're just going to keep deepening people in their walk with Jesus. We're going to keep helping make disciples because we want them to be better and more firm in where they stand than they are right now. And this is, I mean, this is one of Paul's statements. He just told them this. He said, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Basically, that's that one statement, this is what we can assume. Paul went and shared his life with them in detail. God's word, the truth of it, if, if God's up to something in your life, don't stress. What God's up to in your life will match the truth of his word. So we need to share the truth, but we also need to share the details of our lives so that we can really we can see the proof of the evidence. That's how, we, that's how we get to the proof point. We take evidence, and when it proves itself, it becomes proof. That's so necessary in people's lives that are growing in Jesus. Now, there, there's a pitfall that I want to I highlight out of another place in Scripture before we close today, because I, I hope that I've been able to lay out clearly how God works and, and how, how much... Um, we need to make sure that we're anchored in a, in a correct gospel into really an accurate knowledge of who Jesus is. We need to grow in that. We need to understand that God has a plan, protection, provision. He's got patience, but his promises ultimately come true, and they're proven. Like, and, and we need to know what those are because sometimes people will, somebody will come up to you in your lifetime if it hadn't happened yet, and they'll ask you to pray for something. And you'll actually hear the brakes squilling in your mind because you're like, holy cow, what you just asked me to pray for, you'll go, it would wreck your life. There's no way God would do that. Well, if I don't know truth of Scripture behind it, I really can't talk to him about how that's, that's, that would actually be the last prayer that we can pray together. We need to really pray according to what God tells us. So we got to know a true and accurate gospel. We've got to have community around us. We've got to have other fellow believers that we're walking close to in our, in, in, in our life so that um, they keep us accountable, they help us flesh out God's word, the experiences of our life. Hey, is this God speaking? Is it not God speaking? And when we really have those days where it's not just one or two people needed, but we need the whole circle of community around us, that it's actually there to circle around us. Here's something else that I just want to caution. I think this is, this is one of the clearest places in Scripture and one of the most honest places that, that I've, I've seen this. And, and I, I believe really that as Paul went through life, and you see all the people that he dealt with in all the ways, um, I, I want to I walk through this example. There's going to be a graphic that's on the screen. This is um, just a type-out version of Psalm 20, I'm sorry, Psalm 73. Okay, So if you could put that slide on the screen, that would be great. So this is Psalm 73, and, and these are some notes that I put around on this just as I studied this passage out before. Um, but this is what I want you to know, and you may not be able to read all this, but, but I want to read the first section to you. Psalm 73 was written by a guy named Asaph, okay? Asaph was one of three predominant worship leaders in the nation of Israel um, over, over multiple reigns, okay? And, and Asaph specifically um, 
was the worship leader when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the temple. I mean, you, you're going to pick the best of the, like you're going to pick somebody you really trust to do the biggest celebration, the biggest worship service of your generation. Um, also, you see the lineage that came behind him. What kind of heart did he have for the Lord? It was generations and generations and generations um, of his family that were in charge of worship in the temple. Okay? So this is the heart. This is, this is who wrote this. I just want to read you the first three verses. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. That sounds good. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is, a, uh, this is a worship song of confession. He says this, listen, I put my eyes on some people, and just that alone almost took my feet out from under me when it came to my whole relationship with God, my entire outlook on life, everything about my existence. You ever seen the videos of people that get on like the, uh, the water thing that like rolls over and they're surfing, but it's not the ocean, but it's just like the big machine they build. It looks like they build a water park. And inevitably, you're, all, you're waiting for the same thing I'm waiting on. You're waiting for like one toe to come off the board or them to get off balance because when their head hits that water, it like, it flosses stuff out of their teeth that has been in there for decades. That is the, I, I love, I want to find one of those machines. I'm not going to get on them. I'll pay for you to get on it. And I promise you, I will be there to laugh when you fall because I think you have to fall on that machine. But he said, if you ever watch those videos, and, and as soon as that water hits feet or hits whatever, like they just they can't even stand. Like it just, it's like boom, and they're gone. That's, uh, that's in a sense what he's expressing. Now, I want you to look at this graphic for something. The next set of verses, verses 4 through 12, is basically everything that Asaph feels when he looks at other people. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Everywhere there's yellow, that's a pronoun or a reference to others. So for those verses, we see, man, his eyes were locked in on those people. Then, when you get down to verse 13, the blue shows... Uh, some kind of reference to himself, the purple begins to show some type of reference, some type of conversation with the Lord. Notice, notice how things start to shift. Verse 13, he comes back with um, a, a little bit of an honest confession. He, he says this, Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. In other words, he said, listen, did, did I not work hard to make sure that I was I was okay enough to do my job as a worship leader for nothing, like just to sit and watch the people in the audience and, and just get frustrated with them. He, he's, he's now focused on himself, but, but not a lot has changed until this next section. This is the turning point. He says, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. He says this, he says, listen, when I stood up to lead worship, had I just said what was on my heart, I'd have wrecked it for everybody. You ever had that kind of moment where you realize, man, if I just let out right now what, what's inside, I don't think they can handle it. Maybe you looked at your spouse, you've looked at your kids, you've looked at a friend, you looked at somebody you work beside every day, and you said, if I just say what I'm thinking right now, it's going to wreck them. And, and probably 
their, their total opinion of me. And, and what that showed you and what that shows me is, is an actual pretty honest evaluation of where we're at, what our heart is. So the shift has, has come on. So here it is. Then I understood. See, after entering God's sanctuary, that, that represented him coming into the presence of the Lord. He said, listen, when, when I finally came into the presence of the Lord, I had a new understanding. He said, I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. So, so God began to show Asaph what the ultimate outcome would be of people that lived the way he saw them living. And that gave him enough of a breath catch moment to then be able to say, okay, but, but in his soul, I still can't just focus on you. It can't just be about you because that's still, that would be a false sense of security. I would puff myself up. It would lead to pride if I just think about how, how you're going to get what you deserve. So, so God continues to work in his life, and then it really begins to shift. Verse 20, like one walking, for, like one waking from a dream, Lord, when asking you, will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me Your counsel, with your counsel, and afterwards you take me up into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail. My God is the strength of my heart my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. And, and here's, here's the clincher. When, when, when he really gets his heart right, what, what, what does the Lord begin to do? He begins to turn him towards the relationships he needs to have with other people. He, he sends him on mission. I have made the Lord uh, God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. The result of our hearts getting right with Jesus and right with the Lord is he allows us then to have a mission and purpose in life right away. Asaph didn't say, hey, I need to take five more months off. I need to take five more weeks off. He said, hey, listen, my heart's right, so now I can go use it for you. I'm going to give you one last thing. Our praise team is going to come up as I read this. Uh, verse 24, they passed through uh, Poseidia, and it came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and from there, they sailed back to Antioch where they, had been, where they had been commended. This is the first Antioch to the grace of God for the work they now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them. And he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So here, here's, here's my whole pitch to you. The process of having an accurate understanding of the gospel is, is a lifelong process and pursuit for us. But in that pursuit, we've got to build the community around us so that the right number of people are there for the right volume and, and, and levels of situation. And God's working in them just like he's working with you. It's not selfish to seek out community. It's actually godly. It's remarkable. God gives us that freedom to know what we need and then pursue it in that way. Because in this life... What Paul learned, I believe, well, and the evidence is, is, is in the journey, is it's in the missionary journey itself, is, is the more I focus on others, Psalm 73 showed a pretty, pretty accurate view of where that will lead me. So we got to find our turning points. 
But I wanted to read you that last passage as that missionary journey ended. Because when, when things tied up and that season was over, Paul, with Barnabas and a big community of believers, he went and rested. And in rest, he, he got restoration for his soul, for his body, for everything that was needed. But he didn't neglect the rejoicing, celebrating and talking about specifically all that God has done. In the journey of life, I know you feel probably busy 100% of the time. Probably. I, I, I feel that way. And, and still, there's a season where we have to notice we've got to rest, restore, and rejoice. If those things are absent, that story isn't complete. And if rest, rejoicing, and restoration isn't part of your life and mine, our story is not complete. I say, well, how do, how do I do that? Well, good, because when we break for a series in a few weeks, we're going to talk about rest. Restoration comes from that. But today, even today, if you don't know anything of how to begin the other two, today at least, while maybe you've got a little bit more time off, tomorrow hopefully, rejoice. Find somebody that's community for you or needs to begin to be community for you and just talk about the goodness of of God and all that he's done in your life and in mine. My goodness, we have so much to talk about. We're celebrating freedom we have because of sacrifice. I have a relationship with Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for. Man, my prayer genuinely is that this passage, even though I know, I know it was a sprint, it was a jog, it was, it was a lot of movement through this passage. That those things that build a complete picture of a messy journey, of what life could look like, you see those essential parts and can evaluate what's in my life currently, what do I need to grow in, what do I need to add, and what do I need to begin. I hope that's been clear. If it's not, then let's talk. We can pray together while this last song is going on. If you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, whether you're here, whether you're at home watching this, or whether you're somewhere else on vacation watching this, there are way, too many ways to communicate and connect. That's the most important decision that anyone will ever make. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Lord, help us in these moments of worship to open our hearts, to process the word of God, the truth of what you give us, so that we can take this and leave from here people that are more ready to live the life that you call us to. Lord, that, that life and whatever it brings is not greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ, partnered with and surrounded by community, learning to keep our eyes on the relationship that's most important and those that are important around us and not getting distracted with things that want to tempt us towards bitterness. And that ultimately we have to go through seasons of rest, restoration, and, and rejoicing. And God, you, you painted for us in this section a beautiful picture of all that life is. And, and somewhere in that, God, you're going to show each of us, I believe, where we need to work now in our relationship with you so that life will be more complete. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? In just a moment, I know as we end the service, there's...
places and opportunities to, to give as you leave, but, but we're not there. We're not, we're not totally there yet. As we worship now, as we sing now, if you'd like to pray over something, um, please let's do that before you leave here today. We love you. Thank you so much for being here.